Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Swami G. And when you when you hear the name Swami G, if you're familiar with Indian names, probably you think I'm saying like Gandhi G or Maharshi G or something like that. You know, they they add this honorific J I at the end of people's names. But uh, I looked on your website, and the G stands for a rather long Sanskrit name that was bestowed upon you by your guru. So I'll, I'll have you pronounce that rather than me make an attempt at it, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, well, we'd be here all night. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, the whole name would be Ganga Purikali Manandagiri. Well, so, so just, yeah, Swami G for short. <laughs> yeah, I can see why you adopted the G. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so much simpler, okay. Right, right. And um, also glancing at your website, I, uh, it seems that you've had a very interesting and colorful history. You know, your whole spiritual path has been a little bit out of the ordinary, I would say, uh, and full of interesting stories, I'm sure. And um, you kind of gave it in a nutshell on the website, but perhaps we could elaborate on all of that tonight. Oh, you have about six days. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we'll make it a series or a marathon, one or the other. It would, it would be a marathon. It was about four lifetimes in one. So. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely uh, on the fast track. Um, <laughs> and uh, I should mention to our listeners that I, 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 I got connected with Swamiji through um, her student, Ron, who is an old friend of mine, whom I've kind of known, not as a, a close friend, we never hung around together, but he was friends with my mother like you know 30 years ago, and we've been in touch and kind of chatting on chat groups and whatnot. And um, even though I'm not in, in close, constant contact with Ron, I do seem to notice a, a rather profound transformation and, and maturity that has dawned in him over the last you know couple of years that he's been involved with you and uh, you know as, as Jesus said you, you shall know them by their fruits and I, I'm always kind of I always feel like it's a good barometer of the quality of a teacher to see uh, you know what's how their students are developing oh know? absolutely I, I always tell people if you want to know the teacher you know then interview the students yeah, and, and see what they're getting, what they're not getting, what transformations have taken place or not, and, and if it's stable or if it's not. So, yeah, that's a, a good indicator of what's going on. Yeah, and whether how they behave, you know, whether they seem to have a, a, a kind of maturity and a open-mindedness or whether they're acting like jerks or, you know, whatever. It's yeah. a <laughs> kind of a, I mean, not that, you know, I mean, there are exceptions to any gener every generality and many teachers attract thousands of students and there's always going to be a few rotten apples and a few gems and, you know, but the general flavor of the people that are around the teacher, I think, are ind indicative of the efficacy of that teacher. And so far from what I've seen, I've, I've you know, I've liked what I've seen. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, when he came in, he was, uh, when he started, <laughs> he was posting very long, long posts. And, and as he's gone along and the, the journey has unfolded, the posts have gotten shorter and shorter and shorter until they're like one line now. <laughs> yeah. So. In fact, he sent me an apology the other day. He said, I'm oh, sorry for all those things I used to post. And I said, don't worry about it. You know, I mean, you know we're, we all go through changes. And boy, and I mean, if I had to apologize for all the crazy things I've done over the years, it again would be a six-hour show. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> he's a little enthusiastic, you yeah. know. <laughs> well, that's a good quality. 
So let's uh, let's stop talking about Ron and, and get back to you. Um, uh, where would you like to start? I mean, what what seems to work well for these interviews, and and we can do it differently if you like. But what seems to work well is that people just kind of trace their history. You know, of they they, they were a teenager or whatever, and they got uh, they picked up some book, and they got all excited about spiritual development, and then they did this, that, and the other thing, and one thing led to the next. So if you'd like to do the story in that way, we could do it. Oh, I'm, I'm not adverse to doing the story, but Lord only knows what's going to come out because <laughs> there's really no continuity of history any longer, and it's, it's difficult to go back and, and piece everything together in a chronological order. It doesn't have to be chronological, and I understand the thing. About, a lot of people, you know, they say, well, you know, I'm really not that person anymore, so it seems a little bit like old news to talk about I, I did this and I did that. So we don't have to dwell on that too much. Um, people do f sometimes find it fascinating. They can kind of relate personally to various phases of a person's spiritual path that they might also have gone through, and so that's interesting. But um, it's an open book. I mean, whatever, however you'd like to do this is fine with me. I think in one way the, the history is important, uh, and, and I understand a lot of Advaita teachers that, that say there's nothing to get nowhere to go, and uh, you know, it was always here, and they want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. Uh, but I, no, I, I think that the history, to some degree, is important, um, if nothing else, to show that there was wearing away of ego. There was a lot of search involved with it. It wasn't just uh, waking up one morning and, and suddenly, boom, it's, it's there. You yeah. Know? In fact, sometimes uh, the Advaita teachers who say that are people who were on a path for 30 years doing all kinds of practices, and then exactly. they, they wake up and then they say, you don't need to do all that, you know. <laughs> but Yeah, because when, you know, because the reason is, when everything falls away, then it's just so blatantly apparent in your face, and it has always been there. Right. And so that's the immediate uh, reaction when when things fall away. But there, there is, you know, the enlightenment is, is instantaneous, mm -hmm. you know, but it can take years and lifetimes to get to that instant. Right. That's <laughs> okay. well well put. <laughs> so we won't go through all of your lifetimes, but let's go through some of the years. Yes, uh, yes, we'll, we'll dispense with a few of the lifetimes. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to touch upon those, too, if you happen to remember them. That's, that's cool. Well, we, we may touch upon one of them. Okay. But, uh, because it was uh, instrumental in the journey, mm -hmm. as it was, um, <laughs> such as it's been. Yeah, I started um, really seeking at a very, very young age. Um, due to the fact which what turned out and what I saw later was a left-handed blessing. Hmm. Of course, at the time, I didn't think it was a left hand, you know, that it was a blessing at all. Right. Uh, I was in a home, uh, and there wasn't uh, much love there. There wasn't much giving. It was um, a kind of an abusive type of a household. <laughs> and so there was really nothing there to cling to. Yeah. When it came to parents and, and uh, you know, no stability with that to, right. you know, to hold to. Mm -hmm. There wasn't this loving atmosphere, we love you, and, you know, that was never heard ever yeah. in, in the lifetime uh, as a child. And so I started to go inward, hmm. you know, because there was nothing outwardly. I was not allowed to have friends, was not allowed to go out, was not allowed to do any of these things. So, of course, the natural inclination was to go within. 
to begin to go within. How did you do that? Did it happen spontaneously or did you have some method? Well, that was, in those young ages, it, it was a, a, not a methodology, but the internal search was more of uh, looking for something and uh, knowing there had to be something more yeah. and wanting to know truth. You know, is there a God? What is God? What is truth? You know, just that longing. And, um, and, and so I began with that. I started reading more of things of the saints. And uh, if I'd been Catholic, maybe I'd wound up be becoming a nun. <laughs> but, so I, I used to, you know, start looking. And I didn't come from a, a family, you know, they, so many of the sages and realized beings, when you're in India, they say, they, oh, they came from such a spiritual family. Right. <laughs> well, no, not, not in this case. I didn't come from a spiritual background. Um, my family didn't go to church every week. Uh, I, I remember, though, as a child, I went to visit my two grandmothers, mm -hmm. and they were about as opposite in the spectrum of Christianity as you could get. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them was a Mennonite. And so when I went to, to visit her, you know, the couple times I went, uh, I went with her to church and wore the little white hat mm -hmm. and sat there very austerely, you know. And then the other grandmother was a holy roller. <laughs> uh -huh. Kind of shouting and singing. And, oh, yeah. 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 Shouting, dancing down the aisles. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. They're going <laughs> out and doing the baptisms in the lake. And so uh -huh. yeah, that was about as opposite extreme as you could get mm. uh, as far as that's concerned. And and so, yeah, that was interesting. But as far as the, the family, no. Um, my, my father would read a lot of Edgar Cayce. He was oh. more into that type of thing. So he was kind of spiritual then. Well, I don't know if it really is spiritual, but looking he, deeper he a, anyway. He, he was looking deeper. He was doing some things like past life regressions. Ah. Uh, he taught me to do that and, mm -hmm. and I was doing that type of work when I was 18 years old. Uh-huh. And uh but nonetheless he was a little bit he was sort of abusive despite his spirit, his uh, yeah. seeking tendencies. Yes, yeah. um, unfortunately, yes, that, yeah. that was true. Yeah. But I did see some interesting things with past life regressions, such as people, people that had allergies would come out of allergies if they mm -hmm. had experienced something. But, but I never uh, held to that it was such an important thing to be looking for. Right. Um, so anyway, so that was fine. Uh, I, I left home, of course, when I was 18. Mm -hmm. And uh, from that point, went into an order, the, the Order of Mans. Huh, what's that? It, it was a, a kind of a, they call it Old Christian. Hmm. It was run by Father Blyton in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And this was really in, uh, you know, the end of 68, 69, hmm. when the, when the Haight-Ashbury was the hate. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, all the drugs and stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh Rather than getting involved in all the drug community and that, I went into the order. Was it a monastic order? Yes. It uh -huh. was like a monastic order where you learn to be a minister and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. But that was my, that was my real big opening. Huh. So you were a nun of sorts at that point. In, in, in some sort of a manner, you would say yeah. a nun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
But uh, this is really what started the journey in earnest because uh, it, one night uh, I was there and we go down to prayers every evening. Mm -hmm. And uh, during the prayers, there was the laying on of the hands on the head and the blessing. And uh, during one of the evening uh, services, this lightning bolt went through my body. Mm -hmm. It was like a gold lightning bolt, about four inches wide, and just went and straight through the body and nailed oh. me to the floor. Wow. And, uh, it, and that started the Kundalini. That was the beginning of the awakening. Interesting. Was that during the laying on of hands or just during yes. the... Huh. Yes. And, and he knew immediately what had happened. Father Blyton knew. So he had the juice himself and, and he, was... He definitely had the juice, yeah. yes. Huh. Yes. <laughs> and so that started the, the process. Uh, um, and I looked up and was seeing auras and was uh, shifted into a, a samadhi experience for a number of days into mm -hmm. that oneness mm -hmm. experience of overwhelming bliss and you're one with everything and mm -hmm. uh, you know if I had died at that moment it wouldn't have mattered right. you know <laughs> you're just at that point in that bliss huh. and uh, so this started my journey, really. That was the beginning of the Kundalini awakening. And I left the order because there were some things I saw. There were some jealousies and other things going on that I, I didn't uh, feel I wanted to be a long-standing part of. Did you leave shortly after that awakening? Yes. Did Probably, wouldn't you say that the awakening was probably instrumental in your impetus to leave? It was somehow having shifted. It's like you know, you, you no longer fit into that shoe anymore. You needed to sort of move into something. Well, yes, I think it was instrumental in that as well. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, I was looking, you know, under every crevice, every rock, everything I could find. <clears throat> I was involved in so many things, the <clears throat> New Age movement and crystals and you know, all of that stuff and looking through that, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Scientology was in the Sea Org. I mean, you know, just yeah. <laughs> everything you can think of I was involved in. And was uh, your awakening sustained at that point, the Kundalini awakening, or did it kind of go dormant again? Uh, for a while, it kind of laid lows for a very short time, but then it, it really started bursting out in earnest. Mm. And it was very, very severe. Um, it, it was very, very difficult. Unpleasant? It was very difficult. Hmm? Unpleasant? Well, if during part of the journey, it felt like I was going to spontaneously combust. Huh. So, so yeah, I would say. <laughs> did you know what was going on, or did you have anybody who could uh, counsel you, or were you kind of like just on your own at this point? Was you know, it... at, at that point, I was really on my own. Mm -hmm. I looked and looked for a teacher, for a guru, for somebody that knew what was going on. Yeah. I had gotten a hold of the, and the only thing that was out during that period of time was Gopi Krishna's book. Mm -hmm. And uh, then and when I had read it, I recognized, okay, this is what it is. But, of course, it gave nothing. Was that a book about Kundalini? It was a book about Kundalini right. and his journey and the difficulty he had. Uh -huh. And he, he never um, transcended, never, I don't think he ever reached uh, realization. Mm. Uh, but, um, you know, 
I, I figured out this is what this is. Yeah. And, and I went to, you know, look throughout the years and just really was not finding anyone that knew much about this. Uh, and, and so it was difficult. I was having a lot of phenomena. Yeah. A lot of phenomena. And city powers, some city powers came, uh, was able to control weather, mm. you know. Uh, people will say it's a lot of bunk, but no, those, these things came and they went. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're not important in the long range of things. They can be very um, ego-stumbling blocks along the way if yeah. one gets into trying to develop those types of powers and, mm -hmm. and et cetera. When you, <coughs> excuse me, when you say phenomena, do you mean like, perceptual things that were happening and stuff like that or and, and if so is that worth elaborating on or no oh there was, there was a lot of phenomena and and so I can talk a little bit about some of the phenomena that went on through the years mm -hmm. um, people would take photos regular photos of me not Karelian photos not uh, aura photos mm -hmm. and there would be lights coming out of the head, lights coming out of the mouth mm -hmm. uh, you know you would see uh, uh, like a, a snake curled next to the shoulder that you would see. I mean, just phenomena, lots of things like of huh. that sort. One second you're in the body, the next second you're out of the body, and the consciousness is above the trees. Um, you know, just so many things. Um, one night I woke up, went out into the living room, and it was just silver. The whole area was silver. Mm -hmm. And uh, very vivid dreams, very lucid dreams. I uh, went through the period of the dreams of fires and the dreams, a lot of dreams of snakes when it became very, very active. Mm -hmm. um, and just so, so many things that, that happen with, with that. Were you needing to hold down a job during all this or did you have some, okay. s some form of support so you didn't have to be... A work in a cashier's register or something while, while seeing snakes. And oh, while. no. No, I, I had to hold down a job. I uh -huh. was a single parent uh -huh. um, raising my daughter by myself. Mm. It was very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, I had gone in uh, into the military, was in the military not for a really long time, mm. um, had gone through abuse, uh, like I said, as a young, young girl. Uh, was uh, molested by an uncle oh. and then had gotten raped in the military and uh, was dealing with PTSD right. as well as with the raging Kundalini. Boy, what a mixture, huh? <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was really tough. It yeah. was really, really tough. So, um, yeah, I went into also the, the Krishna, Hare Krishnas, and was with uh, Prabhupada when he was alive. Mm -hmm. um, so I lived in that ashram life for a time yeah. as well. And uh, I had a very interesting story with him. Uh, I was, when he was in LA, and uh, I was standing there and had done this mala, you know, of the flowers, uh -huh. full the flowers for, for the deity statues. And he was coming in from his morning walk and he saw me standing there, and he goes, come with me. And this was a bit unusual, because I hadn't taken initiation there. I never took initiation, although I did live there for a year, year and a half. And uh, he, he took me up to his private quarters and had me put the malas on his deities, his Krishna and Radha. 
and looked at me point blank and said, you will reach realization, you will enter realization in this lifetime. Hmm. So, so that was interesting, but I knew that it wasn't the place I was going to be long, long time. Did you feel that he was a realized man? I think he really po possibly knew more than what he gave. Uh -huh. um, but he always said, and this is the one thing that stuck with me, that mankind can only be attached to something. Huh. So let them be attached to Krishna. Huh. It, the reason I ask is that you know we started the conversation talking about uh, students being reflectors of the te teacher, and you know, I mean, having run into a number of Hare Krishnas in airports, and you know, and all the controversies that have followed that yes. that movement, I, I've I've often wondered how substantial it really was. But that's kind of a tangent we don't need to get into, really. Well, no, I, I think, you know, like I said, uh, you know, he, he kept with the letting people be attached to that. And I, and I think, you know, that they don't go the whole way. You know, they, they go and really study the Bhagavad Gita, but they don't go into Uddhava Gita. Uh -huh. And the Uddhava Gita, in the end, goes more into non-duality. Right, right. Okay, and starts to cut through that. Right. But he didn't give that. He only mm -hmm. gave the Bhagavad Gita, and so people only went uh, a certain distance with that and, and no further. They didn't go to the full falling away of everything. Yeah, as a matter of fact, his, his followers are kind of notorious for arguing against Shankara and, and you know, non-duality teachers like that. And, um, yeah, because yeah. They've, only, they've only gotten half of the knowledge. Right. They've only gotten half the knowledge. Huh. And, and so when I run into them, I say, please read the Uddhava Gita. Yeah. You know, if you're going to study Krishna, then let's look at all of the text right. and see what his final admonitions were before he left this planet and plane. Yeah. And Uddhava, by the way, uh, was, I'm not telling you, but I'm telling people who might not know, was, yes, was his closest disciple. And so there was this conversation between them and the Uddhava Gita kind of came out of that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so to continue your story, um, you were with Prabhupada, and that's where we yes. left off. And then what? Yes, was with Prabhupada. Mm -hmm. and had left there. And another fun anecdote was I, I decided to hitchhike one time to Mexico. <laughs> I thought this was a brilliant idea. Yeah, I did a lot of that in those days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was hitchhiking to Mexico mm -hmm. with this American Indian. Uh -huh. We get down into Mexico, and what's he do? We meet this, this Mexican guy, and they go into this bar, and they're throwing him back. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, drunk as a skunk. They come out, and I said, I'm not getting in the car unless I'm driving. Right. And, uh, and, and they weren't having any of that, so I, I went on my way uh -huh. and uh, wasn't too far from, from this town. I went into this town and went in, in the evening to have my meal, my mm -hmm. dinner. And this policeman comes up to me. And he goes, uh, what are you doing here? I go, well, obviously, I'm going to have my, my meal, my dinner. Well, you have to come with me. Uh -huh. Next thing you know, he puts me in this Mexican jail. <laughs> and I'm there for three days and three nights, very prophetic. Wow, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there and going, okay, why am I here? Uh -huh. You know? And it finally clicks, okay, you're off the path, you're off searching, you need to get back to your search. Right, right. And about 15 minutes later, this policeman comes back and he goes, why are you here? I said, you tell me and we'll both know. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he went up and nobody had a clue who huh. I was, why I was there, nothing. Huh. And, and so they let me out. And, uh, and, and I went back to my path and uh, left Mexico and back to the search in, in earnest. <laughs> That's interesting. That, you know, it's interesting that as soon as you had that realization, why am I here, uh, you know, I'm off my path, they, 15 minutes later, the guy comes and you know lets you out. That's you know pretty prompt timing. As a matter of fact, your, your sense of timing is very good because just this week, I was uh, I had had a cancellation. I was sitting here thinking, who am I going to interview next Wednesday? And just as I was thinking that, the email from Ron comes in, you know, say, <laughs> saying, how would you like to interview Swamiji? I said, perfect. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> well, that's the way the universe works. You yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's got its own timing for everything, and mm -hmm. so yeah. We just go with the flow. That's it. We yeah. we're not in control of it. Yeah. We we just are along for the ride of it and enjoy that. So. Yeah. Okay, good. So you you got out of jail, back to the yes. search. <laughs> got out of jail and and back to the search, and and like I said, it was it was just a very very long long difficult journey. Uh, I, I was one of those that you know I I did learn a lot of lessons on my own sitting out in nature you know there's only but there's only so much you can get right and i was under one of the ones and i i understand where they're coming from under the delusion i could do it on my own yeah because here's kundalini going uh and one thing i was told when the kundalini awakened was well you're in the first stage of enlightenment mm -hmm. well i don't believe that I think that's uh, a wrong thing to tell somebody mm. because it's not enlightenment whatsoever. It's not even remotely close to it. You're just beginning the journey right. at that point. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, I, w I worked for 20 years to get my benefits from the military. It took a long time. And when I got my benefits, I decided I would go to India. No, wait a minute. Does that mean you stayed in the military for 20 years, no, or no, you, you no. had to do paperwork and I hassle with bureaucracy for 20 years before you could? Right, right. I see, I see. Paperwork with the bureaucracy, and it, it took 20 years wow. to get my, my benefits. And, they finally and so, decided to just shut you up and give you the benefits. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Something like that, <laughs> <Right>. yes. <laughs> and, and so at that point, you know, I, I said I'm, I'm leaving and I'm going to India. And of course, was in that again another erroneous mindset that I need to find the tantra. You know, I need to find the tantra because I need to balance all this stuff out—the male, the female, and all this other drama. And what did you understand "find the tantra" to mean at that point? Well, of course, you know, I I, I didn't really know uh, a lot about tantra. I was under a lot of misconceptions as to what it is and what it's not and happened to meet uh, an Indian guy online mm -hmm. and he said oh he was tantric his whole family is tantric and so uh, I was going to go over there to to meet with this person mm. and uh, and but I'll back back up just a little bit from that yeah because if you're saying online you must be talking the 90s now or something you know to yeah yeah, yeah. we're back we're up to the 90s yeah. now Okay, well, I'll let you back up a little bit as so we'll, we'll we'll back up a little bit as well with that. Um, when I when I was living in uh, in uh, Arizona area, I went into this bookstore and I saw this tape there, Satsangs with Rajiv. Mm -hmm. 
And I, and I was looking at it and go, yeah, I wouldn't go to this Yahoo if he was the last person on the face of the planet. Uh -huh. You know, <laughs> I don't need a guru. Right. I can do this on my own. I've got this Kundalini awakening. And, uh, you know, at this point in time, things had progressed. And, and I had that city that basically anything you wanted to know intellectually would, would be there. <laughs> and, and it would be there just either full force or line by line by line would unfold. Mm -hmm. So you think you know something, but you know nothing, yeah. you know. The fallacy of the intellectual drama. Would that apply mainly to like uh, philosophical or spiritual insights, or could it even apply to mundane things like you know you're driving your car and you need to know how to get to so and so such and such a location, and the information that mundane information would come. Well, I'd say it was more on the spiritual because that's where my focal point was. Right. That I wasn't so interested in the other, although I can get in the car and wind up where I'm going and don't know how I got there, and wow. it just happens. It just, you know, right. I just wind up there, you know. But, uh, yeah, it was more on the spiritual type because that's where my focal point was. Right. That's what I was looking for. Okay. Yeah. So I, I left. I got on the plane. and. So uh, wait, wait a minute. Now, you, you mentioned this book. Was this the guy you yeah. ended up decided to go to India to see? No. Oh, okay. It was just, but what, no. what was the significance of that book that you mentioned, the, the Rajiv oh, oh, of seeing the tape? Well, it, it will come in. I, I will explain that as we go. Okay. The satsang with Rajiv book I'm referring to. Where right, you, you right. You said I'd never connect with this bozo if I, okay, okay, so you're getting to that. Okay, keep I'm going. I'm getting to that. Okay, We're, we're coming to that. All righty. <laughs> You know, I, w I was having, you know, along the journey, there were, uh, and, and we'll, uh, again, once more back up. It's, it's like I said, this is tough for me to do interviews because I don't have a real chronological thing right. uh, any longer. You lose that time and space, and, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. But, but I, I, I'll go back a little bit because uh, one thing that took place, because you asked about phenomena and this and that, um, I was living in San Francisco, and the first time that things started to get still and quiet in the mind, I was sitting in the, a little coffee place called Cafe Trieste mm -hmm. and had ordered my latte and was sitting there, and all of a sudden there was quiet. And things again went into another expanded state, you know, and again the heart opening was there. Mm -hmm. And that oneness was there. And that's when that started to happen in earnest. And that would come and go through, throughout, throughout the days and throughout the years. Hmm. Sil that, silence would just come and descend upon you, so to speak. And, right. Yeah. Just, the mind would get quiet. Hmm. The mind would get quiet. There was a, a, a space of quiet, a space of silence there. Now, I wouldn't call it stillness yet. Right. Because it was rising and falling, it would come in and go out like like waves. Yeah. So I, I don't call it at that point. It wasn't stillness. At that point, it was just getting some quiet that would come in. Would it be more likely to happen when the circumstances were conducive to it, such as just sitting quietly, or could it even happen if you were like riding a streetcar or something doing? Oh, some... it could happen any time. Uh huh. It could happen at any time. Okay. Yeah, there wasn't any rhyme or reason. Nothing you could do to make it take place it would just uh, just all of a sudden start start happening right. yeah
Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so the time progressed, and, and then I decided I would go to India because uh, the Kundalini was just raging, mm. and, and like I said, it was feeling like I was going to spontaneously combust mm -hmm. and had gone through um, already the dark night of the soul, <clears throat> which I, I did pass through. <laughs> is that uh, worth talking about, or would you rather? Uh, yeah, maybe it maybe it is. Yeah, it was because people really do go through that, and it might be good for them to hear your experience. Yeah, it was really, really deep. But you know, like I said, I I was dealing with PTSD. I was dealing with depression. I was dealing all with all of this as well as raging Kundalini. Yeah. But uh, you know, and I was praying. I mean, literally, I was praying for death. I said, mm -hmm. I just I can't take anymore, God. I I really I can't take anymore. It was just so painful. Did you have it's a feeling so that the difficult. Kundalini was kind of burning out the PTSD and the depression and stuff, as if the force of the Kundalini was incinerating that stuff, and that's why you were experiencing it so intensely? No, not really. No. I didn't know why it was that was happening. I didn't have any clue as to what was going on at that point. No. Okay. No. But I was just in a lot, a lot of pain, and and you know I can see the difference in working with people there's a difference between the the pain and the drama of the of of the um, PTSD and the depression and that versus the Kundalini what mm. happens with that they're they're distinct and, and separate uh, things it's interesting that the two can coexist in one person like that you know because one might think that well, you have to really have all that stuff cleared away before you can really have the spiritual awakenings. But, you know, you, you had a load of it still, and yet oh, yeah. the Kundalini is going on at the same time. Yeah, there was, there was a load of it. There was a load of it. Um, but, but, you know, maybe some of it with, with Kundalini brought some insights uh, along the way as well. And, and I can give you some of those insights that were taking place uh, yeah, in the midst of this as well. Sure. Um, but uh, right now we're we're talking about the the dark night of the soul and when that took place. Um, and and literally, at one point of the the journey, I was feeling the weight of the world. Hmm. This wasn't just the normal depression. This just wasn't the oh my life is not going well and and all of that. I mean, literally, it was feeling the weight of the world and that identification with Christ and and that just. It it was you you couldn't even take a breath, the heaviness and the just the 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 torture and the you know feeling this across the board of humanity. Wow. It was it was just I mean I I can't even describe what it was like. It was not like the normal depression and all of that mm. that had been going on for years. But this was an another. Uh, a spiritual type thing and, and it lasted for some time it wasn't an an instant where it was within an hour or two oh this no was i'm sure going on for for some time yeah um your story reminds me of um a, f a friend of mine who was saying some of the very same things i mean very very profound uh, spiritual awakenings and and development feeling the weight of the world and going through all this intense pain and everything and unfortunately, he did end up killing himself. Um, you know, he didn't sort of go through it all to... Well, I was fortunate. Yeah. I, I had the insight and I had the, the wisdom enough to know that that wasn't going to get me out of anything. Right. 
okay? Yeah. It wasn't, I would have to come back and do it all over again. Yep. I had that, that much of an insight and wisdom to know that. But yes, I was literally praying for death. Yeah, but literally you but you hung on for dear life and <laughs> oh yeah, made it through there. Uh, I, it it was for me at that moment. It was just hour by hour trying to get through it. It was minute by minute wow. trying to get through the next breath. And I was praying. I just went, God, I can't take anymore. Take this from me. And and the next thing you know, then I went into an even more difficult state. Huh. And how, how long did this go on, this intense suffering period? Oh, like I said, I have no... Like years? Uh, I, I would say it was maybe like uh, six months to a year or something like that. Okay. It, was, it was an extended time. It wasn't, like I said, days or hours. This right. was a very extended thing that, that, that I was going through. Mm -hmm. But, but at that point, you know, I prayed and just when I can't take anymore, please take this away. But then I went to an even more difficult place. <laughs> as bad as that was, then I went into this feeling like being a zombie. Huh. Like there were no emotions. Uh -huh. there, was, there was nothing there. You just were like this robotic thing and numb and there was nothing. And, and it was, uh, that was even worse. Hmm. And, and then I'm at that point, I go, oh my God, when is the resurrection going to come? Because this is even worse, you know, this was worse than that hell of that suffering. Did people whom you were interacting with have a sense that you were going through any of this? Uh, or did you seem normal to them? Well, no, I, I really didn't talk to too many. Um, I, I had gone to uh, try to get some help for the depression and the PTSD and that type of stuff. And they just looked at me and said, uh, uh, your, your case is just so, so difficult. We don't even know where to begin. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had one that said, if I were you, I would have killed myself long ago. And that was not a big help. Yeah. <laughs> okay. so a little bit irresponsible for a psychiatrist to say that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for that. You know, yeah, that was that was great. You yeah. know, it didn't help. You know, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, and and alongside that, there were, like I said, they, I can talk about. There were some insights that came because uh, during the and this was part of the mental emotional drama that didn't have to do with Kundalini, but I was getting piercings done at that point. Um, I was I was getting piercings done because and then finally a light bulb went off in the head mm -hmm. that said and and recognized what it was that the physical pain was easier to deal with than the emotional pain. Huh. <clears throat> but every time this started healing up again, that all the emotional pain would rush in again. So you'd actually intentionally have go through some physical pain in the form of piercings in order to deflect your attention from the emotional pain. Exactly, exactly. Oh, interesting. And, and then when the, finally the light bulb went off <clears throat> as to why I was doing that, I said, well, this is really stupid. This isn't, yeah. this isn't helping anything. And, and I stopped it at that point. I wonder if that's what, what these kids are doing who cut themselves intentionally and stuff. I wonder if that's what they're doing to uh, you know, kind of deflect themselves from emotional pain or it, it could be. Yeah. It, it could be a part of it. Mm. But, you know, it, in the process of whether it's emotional pain or in your dealing with mental trauma or whatever, the, the first step is you have to see it in order to 
to deconstruct it, to, to go beyond it. Yeah. So it, it took a light bulb going off of insight to see what was going on with this. Huh. So that was the insight you were referring to? Yeah, that was one of the insights that came along the way mm -hmm. as to why, you know, I was doing that. And I said, well, that is really not going to solve anything. Right. You know, so I stopped at that point. <clears throat> And, and saw that you really have to, to feel these things. You really have to go through it, mm -hmm. you know. Were, were there so, some, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's, that's okay. I was just going to say, were there some other insights uh, during this period? Because you, ref, you referred to insights plural, and so I thought maybe there were several things. Well, just along the journey, in, insights will, will come sure. along the way, mm -hmm. you know. And, and so anyway, so at, we're going forward again in time to, to where I left and, and flew to India mm -hmm. and met up with this person. He had written a book. Um, this person that I had met online had, read, had written a book, and, and I went to see him. He was giving some, uh, he was giving some big, um, uh, what do you call it, not a retreat, but a talk. Right. Uh, to some businessmen and stuff, but I, I rapidly saw that he didn't know anything really. Uh, right. He didn't. He didn't know anything. And and I was in uh, I was in Lucknow, and uh, and and I had gotten a book before I got on the airplane that was talking about different spiritual masters and and places in India. And I said, well, while I'm there, I, I would like to see what the ashrams are like there. Because I had lived in the, like I said, with the, the Krishna mm -hmm. uh, ashram in the U.S. And I, I wanted to see if it was different there. But I didn't want a guru, you know. Right. I, don't, I don't need one of those guru people, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, but I looked in the book, and there was one located there, and, and he had passed. And so I said, well, okay, no problem. I can go there. Because <laughs> <laughs> the guru's dead. <laughs> because the guru's not yeah. there. <laughs> I think it was Ramdas who said, dead gurus don't kick ass. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So... So I went, and they were telling me, well, we're having bhajans tonight. <clears throat> and I love bhajans. I love the singing. And they said, why don't you come for the program? And I said, you know, okay, I'll come for the program. And uh, indeed, I went that evening from, for the program, and I walked in, and here is this Indian gentleman, all in white, and he's sitting there, playing the harmonium, and he's singing these lovely bhajans. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and knew immediately there was this connection and that there was something there. Hmm. And um, <clears throat> afterwards, he came up, and we spoke. And, and he was, uh, honest to goodness, tantric master. Oh. And so he did teach me ins and outs of, of tantra, and it's not what people think that it is. Right. You might want to elaborate on that. Yeah, well, it's not sex. It's not. It's none of that stuff. And right. so, so yeah, it's it's much more in depth, and it and it has nothing to do with all the sexual right. things that people want to think that it is. Do you want to say what it does have to do with, or will that be part of your story as it unfolds here? Yeah, well, I don't talk too much about the tantra. Just simply and and just simply say that it's not what what people 
think that it is that that's all i don't right. get into a lot of it tantra you know really tantra has to do with also you know using everything in life to to move forward mm -hmm. and and it's uh there's a lot of other depth to it but uh i don't go into to talking about it and uh Really, real tantric teachers, they don't go, you know, they're not teaching in big uh, forums and things like that. It, it doesn't happen. It's a one-to-one -one uh -huh. teaching. Okay, good. Okay, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. All righty. <clears throat> but uh, my, the, the teacher, he wound up being my teacher, and uh, he was all familiar, very familiar with Kundalini, knew all the ins and outs of it. He was a realized master. Um, his father had been a realized being as well, mm -hmm. and he had been a, a student of the guru that had passed. Now, what happened with him, <clears throat> he, he had uh, left the ashram when the, the guru passed. He didn't really want anything to do with that ashram because he saw people were there and they just wanted to make money off of it and other stuff was going on, and he didn't want to really be involved with it. Right. But, uh, but uh, the guru that had passed appeared to him and said, you need to go sing me bhajans. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he's going, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and then the guru appeared to him again. And he said, no, you need to go sing me bhajans, and you need to go now. Hmm. And, and so this was all set up by the universe. Yeah. He went there. And, uh, he, and he wound up being my teacher. I was very fortunate to have the one-to-one -one time with him. Mm. Um, he, he has other uh, sadhakas that he goes to now. Um, but when I was there in India, I got to spend all my time one-to-one -one mm. with him. So he's still alive? Uh, yes, he, uh -huh. he's still alive, although mm. he's... Uh, He's, he's older now, and he's already had some heart problems, and so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, he wasn't your final teacher, though, right? I mean, he was um, kind of a, tr a, a transitionary teacher that you saw? Now, actually, he was my, my, um, my root guru and, and final teacher. Oh. He, so is he, he the one who initiated you into sannyas and who gave you uh, your name? We're, we're still headed in that direction. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so did you really have, um, I mean, what was the nature of your awakenings or realizations at that phase when you were with this man? Well, when I was with him, uh, he was very tough. He was very, very tough. You know, I was kind of puffed up and I had all these writings and this and that. You know, thought I was kind of hot stuff, you know, <laughs> thought I knew something. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he, and I was showing him these writings and stuff. And uh, he looked at them and read them, and, and he says, well, if you believe this, then you're, you're already there. Uh-huh. You know. Uh -huh. And then he turns around in the next instant and deadbolt in my face, you idiot, you fool, you know nothing. Who the <laughs> hell do you think you are? I mean, just, huh. boom. Wow. I mean, just this tantric face and this just glaring and this energy just, boom, hit me. Uh-huh. And, and I was literally mute huh. for three days. I couldn't speak. I couldn't get a word out of my mouth. Nothing would come out. I'd try to utter something and I, ah, ah, ah. 
Wow, interesting. Nothing would come out. So you, so you weren't resentful at him for yelling at you. You realized something good had happened. Well, not at the moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> At the moment, of course, the immediate response is, you know, you want to flare up and the ego wants to go crazy with it, you right. know. Yeah. But, but it, it, it had been so shocking and, and such that, you know, just jerk, hard-hitting, shaking of that, that ego. Yeah. That it, that it really, at that point, threw it back on itself. And then this spontaneous inquiry began to, to take place. Huh. So he was really, really a, a, a tantric master and really was, uh, you know, that crazy wisdom Yeah. And, and knew what he was doing. Did he yell and scream like that very often or was it just that one time when he no. really needed to slam you? Yeah, no, no, it, it wasn't an, an all the time thing. Yeah. No, that was it's that one time and just really nailed it. Right. Nailed me. Yeah, absolutely. So when you say the inquiry began to take place, would it be fair to say that um, you know all these years the Kundalini had been going on and but you you hadn't been so self uh, referral or self reflective or something? You just sort of. I don't know. There, there was a habituation to just sort of assuming that you had a certain status and kind of directing your attention more outwardly. But the, it was more of an right. It was more of an externalized thing. You yeah. know, when this is why the phenomena happens and stuff. You're in the third eye and you're projecting outwards, and you know the mind goes off on a drama, and you you latch onto it, and quantum, of course, happens, and mm -hmm. you can manifest all this type of stuff. Realms and gods, goddesses, all huh. of this stuff you can you can manifest. And so he kind of turned you around. So yes, yes, he yeah. he shook me to the core, and and turned me around, and and you know I, I people always ask me well what's his name and I I don't give out his name because mm -hmm. simply for the fact that that he he wants to remain you know, in quiet. He doesn't want people following him. He is, you know, very much a traditional uh, traditional guru. Yeah, I was going to ask, but then when you said that he's, you know, getting old and he has heart trouble, I thought, well, he, you know, he doesn't want people coming. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> and so that's why, you know, I honor that and, and just keep that, you know, for what it is. Sure. Uh, there are some of my students that have met him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have brought a few students so he could see the progress and what has happened here, that some have entered realization and, and what's going on, and, and so he was happy to see that. So, oh. yeah, so it, it, it's good. But, uh, you know, I, I, he wound up leaving um, and going to the U.S. for a time, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so at that time I went from from Lucknow and went to Rishikesh and stayed up in Rishikesh. Okay, and things were still unfolding, you know. Mm -hmm. Things were, were still at that point unfolding and having more oneness experiences and, you know, that experience of, oh, everything is Krishna and Krishna is within me and Krishna is in everyone and it's blissful and it's love and all of this type of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. all of those unfoldings are still taking place and uh, other phenomena. Every time I would step on the bridge going across the Ganges, I would lose body consciousness. Hmm. And it was just very difficult to walk across the bridge. Yeah, because, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, the body consciousness, you know, it's like outside the back and it's like a puppet trying to, to move, you know. So yeah. 
more and more depth is happening, more and more uh, falling away is taking place, uh, more and more spontaneous self-inquiry into watching the mind and seeing what's there and, and really going to the depth of it. And, and as that's happening, these conditionings are, are, you know, breaking through one by one. Now, were you doing uh, sort of intense practices at this point, doing a lot of meditation or anything, or was it just sort of like this momentum, this head of steam had been built up and you were just going through this, these changes reg without doing a lot of formal practice? Well, there was practice. You know, I have to say there was practice, but not what uh, people would consider. It was like ongoing meditation throughout the day. Right. You know. Uh, when I went to Rishikesh, and now we come up to the to the Babas, mm -hmm. <laughs> we come up to the Naga community. All right. I I had met uh, one Naga Baba, Sundarpuri, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, he was the genuine, real deal. Are those the guys you see in <laughs> pictures of at the Kumbh Mail and everything who are naked and they have their hair yes. really long and that, that sort of thing? Yes. <clears throat> right. Yes. Okay. And so he became kind of a protector for me. Mm. He watched over me, and he, he understood there was a lot of depth, what was going on. Mm. He was really respecting because I didn't do the ganja. I wasn't smoking the right. drugs. I wasn't taking any of that. I, I was just serious on my practice. Was he? Oh, yes. He smoked? Oh, yes. But not Absolutely. Yet. And but in fact, that's what, that's what killed him. Oh, really? Yes. Lung cancer? Uh, no, it wasn't lung cancer. Um, he, he had a massive heart attack. Oh, from just too much pot smoking. Well, it was it was heavier heavier than that. But yeah. I'll I'll get to that. Okay. I'll I'll get to that. Uh, what happened with that? And this uh, this may be a trivial question, but did he speak English? How did you communicate? He did. He spoke a little English. Okay. He he spoke a little English. Yeah. And he was there and, and showing me that tradition, the mm -hmm. Shaivite tradition, um, and uh, all about the Duni and uh, learning the Sadhu language. What's they the, have what is the Duni? A Duni is the fire. Oh, okay. And the fire is representative of that truth in Shiva like and that ceremonial you know, fire sort of thing. Yes, yeah. yes, okay. yes. Good. You keep the fire going, even when it's 120 degrees, you have the fire going in yes. there. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of tapasya with that. Right. Tapasya <laughs> and, means austerity. Austerity, a lot right. of austerity with that. Yeah. yeah. So I lived that life and, and stayed in huts next to the Ganges, got up in the morning and would bathe in the Ganges, and that water is ice cold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And and so anyway, he he was kind of a, a protector and watched watched out for me. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, one day, and, and this is one of the great anecdotes of, that happened along the way. I asked him. I, I said, "Could you watch my my clothing and my things? Because I have to take so care of something for my guru. Mm -hmm. He he's out of the, and gone to the states, and and he's asked me to take care of something for him in Lucknow." Uh -huh. And so he said, yes, I, I'll watch your stuff. And, and I was hesitant. I said, no, I don't want to take sannyas. You know, my guru wore white. I'm going to wear white, and you know, and, and that's, that's that. And, and so I left. And while I was gone, he took all of my clothing and dyed them all saffron. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say he threw it in the Ganges or something. But <laughs> no, no, no. At least he still had clothing. <laughs> No, he, he went and he dyed all of my clothing saffron and said, now you have no choice. 
and you have to become a, a sadhvi. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he, he, was, he was very funny. Huh. He, he was very funny. Yeah. So did he, did he formally initiate you into sannyas, or was that some... No, no, uh, he, he didn't get the chance to. He wanted to with the, with the next big kuma mela that was coming up. Right. And, and he knew what was going on. He saw what was happening. Um, and, and during this time, uh, my, my practice was mainly sitting by the Ganges huh. and just looking out in the center of the Ganges. Mm -hmm. And the, the Ganges is going by, and it's going by, and it's going by, and the mind is stilling, mm -hmm. and the mind is stilling. There were very, very little thoughts at that mm -hmm. time, you know. It was going more and more into stillness. What, what was happening with the PTSD at this point? Had that well, it was still, no, it was still there. It uh -huh. was still there. You know that all that stuff was still there up and up until realization took place. It was still, you know, still, yeah. And, and how was that manifesting? I mean, in terms of anxieties or crying fits or anger or anxieties and stuff. Yeah, yeah. a lot of very very heavy anxieties. Mm -hmm. um, it had gotten a little better with uh, not quite as many flashbacks and stuff, but there was still, you know, things that would throw you into flashbacks and all of that, you know, yeah. all of that drama. And, and the PTSD for me was really, really difficult. Uh, like when I went to the VA and they have to do a, an evaluation of you, I couldn't even talk too much about it. They said we have to stop it because we're afraid this this veteran is going to get and in, go into a psychosis because they can't. You know, it was really, really devastating. Very, yeah. very difficult. And was that primarily? Uh, I'm, I'm sort of looping back here for a second. But was that mm -hmm. primarily from your childhood traumas or from the rape in the military and things like it, that? It was. It's a combination. Uh -huh. Okay. It's a combination. But the way they found out, and this is why they finally had to give my benefits, was if you have, and, and the first they threw it out, they said, well, you've had, uh, you've had trauma before, therefore, you know, we're not responsible. Yeah. But, but what I found out, and, and what I took in at the second time was, if you've had first trauma and you have secondary trauma, you will definitely develop PTSD mm -hmm. beyond the shadow of a doubt. So at that point, they had to recant and give me those, those benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Still, yeah. still a huge problem, but that's a whole other topic. That's a whole other topic, yeah. yeah. It is, it's a very difficult problem, and uh, I know there are still a lot of people fighting for those benefits, and it, it's a very, very difficult process to go through that, as if you don't have enough turmoil, you're trying to deal with that, and you, you know, you're not allowed to have a lawyer, you're not allowed to have any help, and, and it's very, they make it very difficult on you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I'm, I'm in Rishikesh, <clears throat> and, and I'm sitting by the Ganges, and, and things are still progressing, um, and uh, when I was, uh, at my guru's, when I went back there, I stayed at his place and, and slept in the bed there. And uh, all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, uh, this, this thing started going, what has become the COS practice here. COS? COS. It means contemplation of self. Oh, okay. And it, it's, it just started running line by line by line, and it took me to a very, very, very deep state. Huh. 
and and I recognized that for what it was, and came came up out of that and wrote it down, and it was all still there line by line. Huh. And my guru had given me a mantra, mm -hmm. and um, a, a very strong a tantric mantra, and then the, I had the spontaneous knowledge about mantras and, and added something to and made it a complete mantra. And uh, so this is how practices started to develop huh. uh, for people on this path. So when you say line by line, um, are you hmm. talking about lines of English words or Sanskrit words or what? Uh, mainly for that, it was it was English words, and it was just this whole long thing that that really takes you into an expanded consciousness. So, do your students? Um, again, we're kind of jumping ahead, but do your yeah. do your students like? Would well, you want to save that for later, and I'll ask you about it once you? Yeah, sure. Oh, okay, we'll sure. get in, we'll get into that. So anyway, that that's how you know practices for this path began to develop, began to develop. Hmm. Anyway, so I went back to uh, went back to Rishikesh, and one day I went and went to sit down for my normal sitting by the Ganges, and all of a sudden this great terror uh -huh. came over me. Uh -huh. Great, great terror, and it's like uh, the only way that it can be explained. It's like being pitch black in the Grand Canyon, mm -hmm. and you know there's that deep dark canyon there and yet you're compelled to go forward <laughs> wow as if uh, you're afraid you're going to step off the edge any second or something oh yeah, it, yeah. it's it's a great terror because you don't know if you're going to it's a feeling like i'm going to cease to exist mm -hmm. or i'm going to to become possessed you don't know what it is you don't know what this great terror is but you are compelled to go forward you know, and, and at that point, I knew it, in that part of my journey, I had done everything that I could do. Mm -hmm. I had done everything that I could do at that point, and there was nothing left that I could do. And, and I literally said within the mind at that point, on the altar of truth, I lay myself. Mm. And God's either going to take me or pull me through. But this is it, you so know. So you just sort of adopted an attitude of surrender to whatever would oh, happen. This, it, yes, total surrender. Mm -hmm. On the altar of truth, I lay myself, and and it was really terrifying because really, it, it you you feel like this is the death. This is death, or you know, I'm I'm do going to totally cease to exist. There is, you know, and this is not in a, a blissful way. Oh no, doesn't <laughs> this, sound like it. No, it's it's absolutely terror filled at that moment. But, but it sounds like you had the presence of mind to realize that this was something of spiritual significance. It wasn't just some kind of trauma bubbling up from your military days or something. Yeah, no, it wasn't to do anything with that. That absolutely not. This was just uh, soul rocking terror. <laughs> but do you, did you actually consciously realize that I, I am now at a sort of a watershed moment in my spiritual path and, and that's why I'm experiencing this terror and I've just got to soldier on and, and go through it. You know, it, at that point, it's just, it happens so quickly, there is no time for that type of a thought process. Okay, so you weren't going through all kinds of... No, yeah. no, there is no time for that. It's just do or die moment, that's it, huh. it hits you. And, and I just, like I said, went on the altar of truth, I lay myself, mm -hmm. and the next second it was there was no me, no world, it was all gone. So this terror thing was brief. It only lasted a few yes. moments. Oh, cool. Okay. 
Yeah, it only lasted a few moments, mm -hmm. and the world fell away, mm. and it was gone. And and you know, I cannot say if I was in that state. It could have been days. It could have been years. It could have been seconds. There is mm -hmm. no time. So did you just go into a samadhi state where you were no longer perceiving with your senses? It was just that that yeah. sort of state. Yeah, it okay. was a it was in a into a full nirvikalpa right. samadhi. Okay. And and the only the only reality at that point is absolute. Right. Just that is. No thoughts. No no perceptions. Oh, no. no nothing. No no thoughts. Nobody there perceiving this this, you know. No no. There's no me. There's no world. Right. There's simply that, and that's all that exists. But there was con. But it was it was consciousness. But it's consciousness. Right. Yes. So it wasn't like you're you're sitting there thinking, oh cool, I finally made it. It's just no. consciousness. There is yes, this there's no me to to sit there and say I finally made it. Right, you know, right. That illusion is blown out. It imploded. Right. It imploded. Huh. And so, however long I don't know how long that that was. When you come back and the eyes are seeing the world, still there's just that that consciousness and awareness mm -hmm. of that. Well, it was still probably daylight when you opened your eyes again, right? And there was the Ganges and. There was the Ganges, yes, yes. But everything was different. Everything had changed in one right. split second. Mm -hmm. Everything. And I was no more. That huh. person never, that sat down never came back. Huh. And with all the conditioned ideas and everything was blown out immediately. Immediately. And the mind was still and the mind never came back. There was no, no longer this rambling mind that, that also ended. Yeah. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people who have awakened talk this way, and um, you know, some of them make it. They hammer on it all the time. There's no one home. There's no self. There's no person, and 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 so on. Um, and I think it's a it's one of the most difficult things for people to understand who haven't had yeah. such a realization. Exactly. You know, because you can is. only sort of think of it in terms of the framework of your own experience. Right. Right. And that's why I said it. it's really impossible to try to, you know, people will say, but I see you, you're sitting there, so obviously you're there. But, but looking within, you, there's nothing one can grab onto any longer because, you know, the storyline of who and what you were is gone. Right. It, it's like some old film that you can't even hardly remember anymore. It has no draw, no pull, no nothing, in, you know, nothing. So when you get hungry... Or when you stub your toe, or something like that, there, there, it's. I mean, what is the sense that it's happening to this body? But, but it's not. But there's. There still seems to me to be more of a sort of an, a, an identification with this body as opposed to the body of that person sitting over there. I mean, you, you don't so much feel it when they stub their toe or get hungry. It's. It's. It's more. There still some, seems to be some sort of localization, and that seems like a paradox to me. I don't totally understand. And it is, you know, the the whole path is a paradox. You know, it it is a grand paradox. Yeah. You know, and and all I can say, you know, when this this happens, the immediate response here was, "Oh my God, it's the end of the journey type thing." But now what? Because you've sought, you know, and you've searched for so many lifetimes and years, and you've searched for years and years and years and lifetimes 
Um, can you turn on the little bit of the fan? I'm like roasting over here. <laughs> I think if we point it right at you and not at the microphone, we'll be okay. Yeah, if you yeah. could, yeah, just point it here. We'll try that and see if that yeah. works. Um, so the, the question, now what? Let's see, we're, we're seeing how that fan goes. The, the question, yeah. now what, was that more like, what am I going to do with myself now? I mean, I've been a, full, I've been a professional seeker for all these years, and what am I going to do? What's going? To, what's next? Or well, elaborate on that. Now what? A little bit. Yeah. Can you turn that down one more? Uh, yeah. No. It, it wasn't that. It was just uh, that recognition that this is it. You know. And and I'll I'll give a little bit about some some. Um, now, uh, hang on before we get into no. that. Is is it oscillating the fan, or is it no. pointed straight at you? It's pointed straight at. Is it? It's a. It, Move it a little bit more this way, because it's... Yeah, just so it's not you know, blowing on the... I heard some, some of that yeah. rumbling again. I was wondering if it was yeah. oscillating. Is that better? Yes, I'm not hearing the rumbling now. Okay, okay. good. Okay, good. Okay, good. Can, please continue. Yeah, and, and so I'll, I'll give just another little thing that happened along the journey. Because I, I was going, you know, I was wondering, you know, it wasn't just the military. I had gone through a number of rapes and things. I had, uh, where I lived in San Francisco, it had gotten broken into, and this guy was there with a knife and the mask on and the whole thing. I mean, it was brutal. I mean, this was going on again and again and again and again, and I'm going, what the heck is going on? Yeah. Was I so mass rapist? What, what, what is occurring? Why is this happening? Yeah. And, and then I had this, I went into to sleep one night, and all of a sudden this lucid thing came, and I saw this ceremony. And, and I had been a monk, uh, had been a, a Tibetan monk, and they wanted to know if I wanted to participate in this chode, you know, uh, ceremony and stuff. And, and I didn't know anything about that in this lifetime. And, uh, you know, sitting in the charnel fields, and, uh, you know, you, you invite the hungry ghost to feed on your flesh, and it's to, to face that fear. Well, you know, in that lifetime, I went crazy. Ah. I went absolutely crazy, and it became very real. So you just, you mean you went psychotic, you flipped out. I went psychotic, yeah, I went crazy. And never I, recovered? Huh? And never recovered in that lifetime? No, I didn't recover in that lifetime. Uh -huh. I didn't recover in that lifetime. And, uh, you know, I was never able to face that, to see that that was the illusion. And that was, you know, it became very, very real in, in that phenomena. And I just totally wigged out. Did that have any karmic connection with the rapes? or Because you it, mentioned it. it. And, and so that's, that's why we're coming to that. Oh, okay. uh, and that's the only reason I'm telling that, that mm -hmm. because what I saw was that this was not something that was happening out of negative karma. It was really that uh, past life, uh, that past life drama playing out in a more concrete manner. So in other words, the karma that inflicted you in the Tibetan lifetime with, the, with psychosis came back to bug you in the form of you know, sexual uh, it, it was, yeah, it was something to, again, trigger that looking in, ah. that looking in. Hmm. And, and what happened with this, and, and this is another thing that happened along the way, was, was looking at that. And finally, I had to sit with that. And, and what I recognized was that, you know, even if this can be gone for a second, 
where did it go? Hmm. So what validity does it have? So who's re-victimizing me? Hmm. The only one you could come back to was myself. Right. Yes, events happened. Events did happen. But who keeps dredging it up was, was myself. And, and then, uh, you know, it was again this other cognition that came. And the cognition was, I'm so fortunate that I have a chance to get out of this. But the ones that are perpetrating these acts are living in a hell realm. Right. <laughs> and therefore, this compassion developed. And when this compassion developed, and I saw that they were living in a hell realm, then it began to, to loosen the structure of this mm -hmm. as well. And was this subsequent to your awakening that you had that you talked about a few minutes ago? This this was going on just you know prior to. I see. Prior to to it, the mm. the full awakening. Prior to the okay. full awakening. So these were like you know again insights and things that were going along in the midst of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Incidentally, I'm so, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's the only reason I bring up the past life thing is because, you know, so maybe things that are happening in this life and you think, oh, I've got negative karma. It's not negative karma at, at all. This was, you know, more concrete in depth of those practices that I couldn't face on an etheric level. It became more concrete yeah. of that fear and in your face and that, you know, that these things feeding on your flesh and coming to that compassion and to, to see beyond that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, there's that saying, the world is my guru, you know, it's pretty much whatever happens is happening for, for a reason. Yeah, and it's not always out of some negative karma, you know, some things that are happening, you know, it's there to trigger other stuff. Yeah. And and one, one time I, when I was in India, I went up to, to up, you know, where the Dalai Lama is and everything, and there was one of the Tibetan uh, monks there, and I've seen him on a few videos. And he and he looked and he did my astrology whatevers and said yes you were you were a monk mm -hmm. huh. and he says very unusual to see the woman that had been a, a monk and I said yes I know it you know <laughs> I know all about it and right. I said but we have to be reborn somewhere don't we yeah. <laughs> incidentally uh, it was, <clears throat> I I missed a, an opportunity a few minutes ago when you had you had just been talking about your awakening and how. There was absolutely no one there anymore. Yes. And then, uh, like in the next sentence, practically, you said, "Can you turn the fan on? I'm roasting." And and yes. the, the obvious question to have asked at that point would have been, "Well, who's roasting?" You know, I mean, uh, because it sort of helps to. Um, I, I'm not challenging you. I'm saying it, it would help to sort of elucidate this this paradox of not being anyone and yet being someone. Yeah, it, it, just because you're feeling what's going with the body doesn't mean one is attached to the body or thinks that they are the body. Right. So, so okay. if you were if you were to get really literal about it, you could have said this body is is hot. Yes. Turn the fan on. But, right. But it was it's kind of an awkward way of speaking. Right. Well, well, people look at you, and and you have to learn to to do that. You know, a long time it was just you know the form is this or the form is that, and right. then people look at you very weird, and so you have to relearn how to communicate in, in the world, you know? Yeah. Uh, so many things, there are things said, and people think that it's done. Uh, you know, many times speaking, say this one, 
and they think it's some affected thing. But no, it's it's the reality. It's it's not that there's any I. So one again has to relearn to to use general conversation. Right. You know, otherwise people think, oh, it's some big affect, and they're trying to be this or trying to be that, and it's not that at all. It's just that that reality has changed, the consciousness has changed, the awareness and the the living experience has changed. Yeah, As I read a very amusing thing uh, a while back, a long piece actually, about forty pages, um, rebutting the sort of neo advaita approach to things uh, where, you know, but one of the points the guy made was that, you know, there's a certain certain blend or certain uh, f type of person who, you know, won't engage in ordinary conversation, but it's, it's a sort of a spiritual one-upmanship, you know, where yes. <clears throat> you say, pass the salt, and they say, who wants the salt? Right, you know? the neo-advita police, yes. <laughs> right. yes. Yeah. Yes, I've been on some of those sites where the neo-advita police hang out, and, you know, yeah, and, that, and that's just another intellectual game, and, and uh, the words are not it. No, they're not, and I'm glad you're saying that, because, you know, I, I get this, I mean, I can't, say anything about anyone's path or experience with certainty, but I get the sense that many people, you know, they, they get the intellectual understanding of Advaita, at least they feel they do, yes. and, and then they kind of adopt that, and uh, mistake that for the realization itself. Right, you know? Advaita speak. Yeah, I mean, yes. when I was 18 years old, I could get up and, and rap for hours, you know, in various chemically induced states about all kinds of far out stuff, right. you know, but, uh, you know, that was a far cry from actually any genuine or significant realization. Right, uh, right. And, and know, the unfortunate thing is that people who do this very often feel like they've arrived and, and there's nothing more to gain and the path is over and seeking is, is a waste of time. And you know, mm -hmm. this, it's this whole rationalization thing. That, well, exactly. And they're know. still in suffering. Yeah. You know, and they don't, they don't get that. And I, I think that's a very, very sad thing to hear. Actually, it's devastating for here. Uh, for people to say, I'm already that, and there's nothing to get, well, then there's no hope. Right. They I mean, on some level, it's true, fine, but that's yeah. just a concept. Exactly. It's a concept, and, and it's so different when everything blows out. Yeah. And it's so difficult to use any speech to try to talk about that, which is beyond speech, beyond mind. You know, all speech is duality. Yeah. All speech comes from a dualistic, you know, mm -hmm. perceptual place. All speech is dualic and dualistic in, in, in nature. Yeah. And even when you say that there's not something, first the mind constructs what's there and then tries to erase it. Yeah. You know, so, so it's really, really um, difficult. You know, yeah. I had a writing that I had done that's, you know, that's talking about being in the now. And, and if you're reflecting on this, then you've already lost the now because now, now it's in, you know, you're trying to reflect in past. And you can't, can't do that. Can't, if you, you, can't you reflect in the, on the now in the now? I yeah, mean, you can't because then you've already missed it. Huh. <laughs> yeah. It's the old finger pointing at the moon analogy, you know, it, it, you know, it's, People mistake the finger for the moon. Uh, you know, words, exactly. words are just a pointer. Exactly. Words are not it. Words are never it. It's impossible for words to to be it because uh, you know that that absolute and that which is it is prior to words. You know, it's yeah. just one can't use words to to describe it. It's indescribable. You know, <clears throat> really. But. 
you know, I don't think this would be a very interesting interview if we just stood here and stared at each other. And exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, words have their place in the transient thing, you know. And but but the point is, people have to have the the direct falling away experience where everything deconstructs, yeah. you know. And there is such a, a difference, and and I just want to say this: such a, a difference in oneness you know, where I'm one with everything, and, and people mistake oneness in that first opening and think that that's it, you uh -huh. know, they think that's realization, but, but it's not, it is just, again, between night and day, but if you haven't experienced the other part, you can really be taken for a ride and think that you're there, mm. and, you know, in and, and so many places along the way where you could self-proclaim and say this is realization, because you don't know any better, you know, it seems so expanded, yeah. so expanded. Did you ever hear of the book Halfway Up the Mountain by Mary? Yes, I have. Very good book. Yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm slowly working my way through it, but it's, a, it's an excellent book. And, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the big rush is for people to say that they've arrived. Maybe they just sort of want to, you know, have to stop, you know, making efforts to progress further. But, you know, I'd, I'd much rather consider my, I'd much rather err on the side of, you know, considering myself less evolved than than more evolved <laughs> than I actually exactly. am. Exactly. And, you know, the, sometimes I say this is what the benefit is in, in having a Satguru, because you, if you have a genuine Satguru, they know the lay of the land, and they know the different Samadhi experiences and, and what they are and what they're not. Yeah. It's like, you know, when everything fell away, <clears throat> I, I wrote to, to my guru, and and he was asking, you know, are you convinced of this? And and I told him, no, I'm not convinced because to be convinced of something, there has to be doubt somewhere. And in this, there is no no doubt, huh. no possibility for doubt. Uh -huh. it, it just is, and and it's more real than anything that's seen in the transient world. It's absolutely hmm. real, you know. So in and other words, conviction is a is a dualistic concept. Exactly. And, and its polar opposite is doubt. And if you're exactly. and if you're sitting in either one of those, you're, you know, you're not exactly. there. All right. Exactly. And and so he he saw what was being said, and he said, well, what you're saying is like is the Ashtavakra Gita. I said, what's the Ashtavakra Gita? I have no clue. I hadn't read any non-dual texts. Uh -huh. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And and so I got the Ashtavakra Gita, and I had gotten the Vivek Chudamani at that point. Shankara's and, test jewel of discrimination. Yes. Right. Yes. And they were like, uh, at that point, like reading diaries. Hmm. You open it up, and it's not a speculative. It's like, yes, 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 yeah. yes. You know, this is, yes, you know, that's all you can say, yes. And, and it, at, at that point, um, you know, if somebody has had a real falling away, that it, I think that reading those texts at that point is beneficial mm -hmm. because it helps to keep the mind from wanting to try to go back in and reconstruct yeah and and try to and, and this is what happens sometimes people will have a genuine falling away but then ego comes back and reconstructs huh. because it's trying to make sense out of this so they lose it they, they lose it yeah, yeah. Because they're trying to, to fit it in a box, and you know, because it's not at that point, it, it's such a a, uh, a a different feeling, you know. It, it's it's not the what one would call your normal quote unquote consciousness, mm -hmm. you know. 
And, and so then sometimes people will want to try to box it and look at it and, and you know, but then they pull back into ego. They pull back into that uh, personification again. So, so what I tell people is that, that are really genuinely having a, you know, blowing out or imploding experience and falling away to, at that point, read the Ashtavakra and, and you're not trying to convince yourself something, but it just keeps the, allows the mind not to try to reconstruct mm. and, and to look. It just helps it to, to settle with Provides it. confirmation or something. It's more of, yes, it's more of a confirming, and then the mind doesn't have to seek that this is something odd, something, you know, and try to have logically figure it out, because right. there is no logic to figure it out at that point. How about the Brahma Sutras? Did, did you ever read those and find those helpful at that stage? Or? Some of those can be, can be somewhat helpful as mm -hmm. well. But but I re really do say the Vivek Chudamani is really really excellent, mm -hmm. and the Ashtavakra. Those mm -hmm. are some of the favorites um, mm -hmm. here that that I give out to to people. So in terms of your story, we kind of left you there on the Ganges, having yes. had having had this awakening. Um, but now obviously you're in the United States, and uh, yes. you've been teaching. And so um, how did that evolve? How did you go from that realization into whatever? transpired afterwards well what happened with that was when when I had uh, talked to my guru and he, he was thoroughly you know assured that this was realization and it was stable and it wasn't going anywhere there was no re rerouting into persona at that point uh, then then he just told me point-blank well it's time for you to go forward mm -hmm. and to be a guru mm. There were no if ands, or buts about it. You know, it, this was uh, his last admonition, and and so that's that's what I did. Did you feel and, any trepidation, or did you feel like, uh, yeah, he's right, I, I'm ready to do this? Well, no. At that point, you really don't want to do it. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what what the journey entails, and there there's it's not like when you're in the ego and thinking, oh, it would be great to be a guru, and I want to be a teacher, and it would be so affirming, and so you know all of that stuff. There yeah. there's no one there to to have those types of of things. It's it's not a feather in the cap. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, so it, it was the last um, last admonition of my teacher to to bring that forward, and so that's that's what I have done. And and I'll I'll go a little bit back. I, we were leaving the story of Sundarpuri and what was happening with him, and how I wound up taking sannyas. <laughs> he was the uh, the Baba, the, Na the Baba. Naga Baba, right? The okay. Naga Baba, right? Yes, yes, um, and 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 my protector there. And, and he had, like I said, he had a great deal of respect, and he could see what was here, and he knew that the, the depths of what was here. He wanted to take me up into the Himalayas. He had some contact with the ashram up there and wanted me to teach, uh -huh. is what the, the, what the plan was. That was his, what he wanted to see. And uh, unfortunately, he had a massive heart attack, mm. and... Uh, it it was very interesting. Uh, he was sitting there making this jolly, a bag, uh -huh. a sadhu bag for me, mm -hmm. the day before he passed. Mm. And and he was sitting there, and I had a photo. I had taken a photo of him sitting there. 
and uh, working on this. And he goes, don't you like this? Isn't this lovely? You know, he's, he's making this for me. And, and it was so, you know, after he passed, I had the film developed. And, and around that photo, and that was exactly the position he was sitting in when he keeled over and had his heart attack. Mm. Exactly that was working on the Jolie again. Uh -huh. And around the photo, you can see around the edges of the photo like he was already pulling away. Ah, interesting. Yeah, it, it was a very interesting phenomenon. And that's the only picture that had that on it. All huh. the rest of the film, it wasn't something with the light of the camera or something that was, you know, it, you, could, you could see that. Yeah. And, it's interesting and, that you, um, you know, found him to be so. I mean, it's interesting that your your take on this guy is uh, kind of a little bit of a, a revelation for me because when I see you know documentaries about these babas smoking marijuana all day and everything, I think you know they're just kind of mixed up guys. You know, they're they're dull, they're they're lost. This is not a genuine spiritual path, and so you know, once again, I. I am exposed to a perspective that shatters that conception, at, well, least, at least in the case of this fellow. Yeah, well, in, in this case of this fellow, he was, you know, very genuine in his things, um, you know, and, uh, uh, but, but there are a lot of them, and I make no bones about it, that 90% of them there, they, all they're doing is smoking ganja and talking bullshit and, and give me bakshish money, 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 right. chasing everybody. And really, in that tradition, that you're not supposed to be asking for bakshish. Right. You're not supposed to be chasing people and asking for that. That's what we call a nakali baba, <laughs> or a fake, a uh -huh. fake nakali baba. Uh, and, and that's not part of the tradition. And, and when I was there, we would sometimes go to Haridwar, <clears throat> and I would sit by the banks of the Ganges, and I would be in meditation, and I would be doing mantras, etc. And people would come by, they would see that you are doing sincerely practices, and they would leave offerings of, of a little bit of, you know, little paisa, a little money, some fruits, mm -hmm. you know, they would leave offerings there. Right. And that's really the way that it, it, traditionally it should be done. Yeah. You know, I did run across a few genuine babas, but unfortunately 90% of them are not. Um, they, they will do things, they will drug each other, you know, I've, I've seen them put something in another one's chai, drug them, steal everything they have, mm. uh, you know, I, I just, so many, and so many foreigners go there and they want to become a baba, they just want to be smoking dope. Yeah, they just want to hang out and grow their hair and smoke dope. Exactly, right. and exchange one story for another bigger story. Yeah, yeah. You know, now I'm the story, I'm this baba and I'm this and I'm that and all of that. Right. All of that other drama, huh. but but anyway, so uh, so Sundarpuri was there, and he was a big drama king in his way, but he was very genuine also. And uh, the night before he passed, he was making you know the the doll and the you know the rice and doll and everything kitchery, and uh, was was yelling Ganga. Ganga, you come over here, you know, he gave me the name Ganga. Ganga, you, you come here, you come now. And he rushed down and grabbed my arm, and when he grabbed my arm, he touched my arm, it went through, immediately I knew you're a dead man. Oh, interesting. You're a dead man. I, I just yeah. knew, immediately, it was just so, you know, you point knew, blank. You knew he was going to die. I yeah. knew he was going to, yeah. and I told him the next day, whatever you do, please don't smoke. Uh -huh. Please don't smoke whatever you do. 
But, of course, here come all these roving babas. Right. It probably wouldn't have made any difference at that point. No, at that point he was, you know, and that was his life choice. And he's driving me baba life big smoking. (laughs) And and unfortunately what they had was was they smoked uh, this hashish without any tobacco. And put it in a pipe and with a with a uh, the tin foil on top, so right. it was very very strong, and yeah. it caused a heart arrhythmia, and he had a massive heart attack. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah. But he left his body in the middle of the Ganges. Uh, we were crossing the bridge, um, and as he was leaving his body, I was just whispering in his ear, "It's all Brahman. It's only Brahman. You're only Brahman." Uh, so you mean you were trying to get him to a doctor or something? And we we were yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but he, he left his body. He expired. He left his body right when we got to the middle of the Ganges. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So um, how did you embark on your teaching career? You, you came back from India. And, and inter- you know, feel free to add more if I'm leaving something out by jumping ahead to this question. But you came back from India, and what did you do, put up a poster? I mean, how did you start to, uh, you know, how did you let anybody know? That, did, well, I guess you were wearing yellow robes, and that would arouse people's curiosity. But, um, you know, how did you begin to find your students? How did they begin to find you? Well, actually, I had started to get on the Internet, mm-hmm. and uh, it just started to meet people, and they were asking about Kundalini and stuff, and really that's... Um, the focal point where I'm at is working with people that are having these Kundalini uh, experiences because there are very few that know how to get it to balance and how to bring them from point A to point B and uh, continue their journey forward. So, so yeah. Yeah. I'll keep that resource in mind because every now and then I, I run across somebody who's definitely having Kundalini problems and they don't know quite what to do, you know. Um, it, it can be devastating. You yeah. can think you're going crazy because what Kundalini is there to do is is to bring all this stuff up, all this repressed stuff and all of these things, all of the fear mode, everything to be put in your face, you yeah. know. So it's really there in your face 24-7. And uh, you have to understand what the process is and how it can be used to further your journey. Either that or you can just get lost in things. It can be just mm-hmm. very difficult I've heard, I heard a guy the other day say, uh, I was listening to an interview, and he said, oh, everybody has to go through a dark night of the soul. If they don't, they, they don't arrive at a genuine awakening. And I, I suppose someone might say the same of Kundalini. Everybody has to go through this Kundalini stuff. And yet, on the other hand, you do meet people and listen to people who seem to have had a genuine awakening and be, have it stabilized it, who never really went through very much of that sort of thing. So uh, what would you say to that? Yeah, I, I'm not going to discount and say it has to be only one way. Right. You know, absolutely not, you know. Yeah. No. So, and I, I suppose, wouldn't it also be true that a person, I mean, I've, you know, I've been meditating for 43 years now or something, and I've gone through all kinds of stuff of, you know, spontaneous fast breathing and the body <laughs> shaking and, and all kinds yes. of things. But it was, you know, for me, it was never that big a deal, never really unpleasant, never... I, I mean, for all I know, maybe there's stuff yet to come that's going to be really dramatic, but it's yeah. never been never been a big deal. But I presume that there's been some, you know, awakening of Kundalini anyway. Um, so maybe for some people it's, maybe it depends on how much, 
how many roadblocks there are to clear away, and if if you have a lot of stuff that really has to be burned through, it's going. To, and if you're going to go through it quickly, then it's going to be really intense. And others may not have that much to clear, or maybe their their path is such that they're just moving more slowly. Exactly, exactly. And and it has to do also with with how much you surrender into it as well, and how easygoing you are with it. You know, huh. if you want to fight it, you're going to lose. I see. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how, how many students do you have now? Oh, that's that's hard to say. I don't. Not I don't that numbers are really important. I mean, it, you know, it, it, I don't think there's any correlation between the numbers of students one has and the significance of what one is teaching. Different people have different roles. You know, some. Exactly. Some have thousands, some have a handful. And it oh, well, there's definitely not thousands. I, <laughs> I can tell you that for yeah. sure. Um, maybe maybe around a hundred plus. Uh -huh close to a hundred, you know, but people come and go, and so, right. you know, it's kind of fluctuating, you know. Do you have a certain and, core group that lives with you and studies more closely? There are a few, you know, and, and there's a few more that are wanting to, to start coming here. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I would like to eventually get an ashram in place where we can have more hands-on and people could come for a time and, and you know, get mm -hmm. some more depth. Um, but really, even the ones that are in the other side of the world, we stay in touch sure. um, through Skype sometimes. Sometimes they'll pick up a phone and they'll just call me, and uh, I'm available for any of my students. Yeah. yeah. We'll put yeah. all that on the website, by the way, where this interview is going to be, and people can get in touch with you if they want to. Um, and you mentioned that a number of your students have had have awakened. Mm -hmm. um, do you... Is that would that be with a capital A, or do you feel like there's been sort of some significant awakenings, but there are others yet to come, or what? Oh, there there are some, you know, that 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 have really fallen away, and they're sages, and they're in the process of of settling and things, and uh, some are in the in the process of falling away. More and more are coming forward. There will mm -hmm. be more. Mm -hmm. There will be more. There have been a few that have had glimpses mm -hmm. and awakened, but then they didn't follow through on what was given. And unfortunately, you know, ego came back and, and once again covered over things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, people think that all they have to do is have this glimpse and then that's enough, hmm. you know. And, and they, they, you know, I've heard some say, well, first you, you have the awakening and then you go back and work on yourself. Well, now if it's it's really a full awakening and there there's nobody there to work on at that point. Mm. If there's somebody there to work on, then then one has had a glimpse. Yeah. And it and it's covered over. And yes, then there's more to do again. You know, perhaps if you go forward, you'll you know it will progress and and there will be another falling away. Mm. Yeah. Well, a glimpse is like smelling dinner cooking in the next room. It's not going to necessarily fill you up, right? Well, exactly. I, you know, and, and that's why I like to, to pass on one of Ramana's favorite books, which was the Tripura Rahasya that talks about the different levels and the oh. different things that uh, take place. And, you know, you can have a glimpse and may be able to talk about it, but you're really not liberated because hmm. the mind is reconstructed and is going again. And, and uh, you know. That sounds like one I'd like to read. I'll have to. I'll email you about that. And, yes. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll. I'll give you that one. It's. It's a good book. Yeah. We can put a reference to it on on the on the website too, where where I put these interviews. Sounds, okay. Yeah. That's that's a good one for people to have. You yeah. know. 
you know, it, it, people don't understand too, like like with Sankacharya, mm -hmm. like with Sankacharya, when when things first fell away from for him, you know, then it was absolute is the only thing that's there, right? And that's the immediate uh, perception and living right. reality. But the further one goes, there's a settling process that begins to take place, and the world comes back into view. Mm -hmm. And it was at the end of his life when he wrote the ode uh, to Shakti. Are you talking about Shankara himself or, or yes. one, of, one of the current Shankarachayas? No, no, no. Shankara, no. Shankara, Adi Shankara. Shankara Adi Shankara, right. yeah. Right. Yes. He wrote the ode to, to Shakti afterwards, mm -hmm. you know, later, later in the journey. And that's what happens. I mean, first, the, the only thing that's real, and, and this is why you'll say that, it's, it, you know, the world has no reality at all. Right, right. But as one goes and the, the depth comes and stuff, then the world comes back into view. And that's why they say before there's mountains and afterwards there's mountains, mm -hmm. you know. And then it becomes the play of God. One says then at that point it's the play of God. And uh, so, yeah, there, there is uh, layers and levels and more deepening and uh, more knowledge and wisdom that comes forward. Um, I, and I'm not talking about uh, earthly knowledge or something else. I mean, it's just a process that, you know, that continues to take place. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and I think perhaps that, you know, a lot of the current Neo-Advaita teachers have had that sort of first blush of uh, a realization where the absolute seems to be, every, yes. you know, the, the be-all and end-all. And, you know, many of them actually explicitly say, there is no God, there is no reincarnation, there are no levels, there, you know, the, the, everything is kind of negated. And yes. I, I have, I, you know, I have this nagging feeling that that's not really a totally mature realization. Uh, but I don't, I'm, I'm a little actually trepidatious of, of interviewing some of these people because I don't feel completely qualified to kind of, you know, counter those notions. Well, with, they are where they are, that's all. You yeah. know, they are where they are in the process, and, and, and that's fine. I understand that, you know, because, you know, it's something that is experienced, and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's such a, again, another dichotomy. Yeah, yeah. One can say God is all that exists, mm -hmm. and then on the other hand, there is no God. For, right. for God to exist, there has to be something other than and there is nothing other than. Right. So again, you can see the two sides of the same coin, you know. And uh, and I've, I've mentioned this quote in a few interviews recently, but but someone I heard someone say that quoting Nisargadatta as having said that, you know, the one good measure of enlightenment is the degree to which you're comfortable with paradox and ambiguity. Ah, yeah. There's a lot of paradox. The <laughs> whole thing, and it, and it, you know, it's after realization there's even the greater mystery. Yeah. So are you, are you implying that in terms of your own realization um, that there has been a continued deepening and unfolding and clarification or you know do you, do you still have a sense of progress taking place and, and discoveries being made? Well, not really progress and discoveries. Uh, I can't really you know say that it, it's like that. Uh, it's just how would you say it? Because the, that unchanging never changes. Right. It's not that the unchanging gets bigger or gets different <laughs> or gets, uh, you know, 
personified or something like that. It's not that at all. It would have to change in order to do so, and that would be a contradiction in terms. Yeah, there is no change. There's that one without a second, indivisible. But then there is the world, and so could you not say that the appreciation of the world or the richness of the world? Yes, it comes back into view, and one enjoys it for what it is. Like I said, you know, during the journey, all I wanted was to be out of the world. Right. I prayed to be out of the world. I wanted nothing to do with that. But true liberation is coming to that point, whether if you're incarnate, it's great, and if you're not, it's great, too. It doesn't matter. You know, it's all, yes, it's all quite fine and wonderful in what it is. And so in your experience, you know, since, you know, you're in the world experiencing things, having also transcended the world, do you feel like there's a refinement in terms of your appreciation of the world, your sensory perception, your emotions, your degree of love, or any of those relative qualities? Do they continue to unfold or deepen or refine? Well, I would say things shift. You know, when you're in the beginning stages of it, everything is love, bliss, love, bliss, love, bliss. But then one goes beyond that. Mm. into stillness, into mm. stillness and quietude. And that overwhelming love, bliss, love, bliss, love, bliss gives way to this stillness. Right. And so, yeah, it's different. You, you can't say that it, it's not loving, but it's not this projection of passion that people are, are seeing with people bouncing off the wall in the oneness state and that no. first flush that happens. No, I don't yeah. mean it in that sense. I don't mean in terms of some kind of flashy you know, um, tumultuous, emotional sort of right. thing. But I mean in terms of actual, actually I mean in terms of quite the opposite, in terms of increasing subtlety, increasing, yes, yes. increasing subtlety of appreciation. Yes, there is an increasing subtlety of appreciation. And, and one goes back into life, you know, and it doesn't mean the emotions have ended. There is pure emotion. But mm -hmm. the difference in this <clears throat> between realization and not realization is when there's emotion, <clears throat> excuse me, when there's emotion, it's pure emotion, and it's there in the moment. And when that moment passes, there is no mind that's cranking on it to keep it in place. Mm -hmm. So yes, one can still have anger, one can have all the normal emotions, you know, but, all of that is still can be in place. But they lose their grip. But they, there is no grip behind right. Yeah. yeah, it's only during that moment when that event is actually taking place, and the minute it's over, it, it again the water just stills. Yeah. That's it. There, there's no nothing to to grasp onto or cling to or reject. It just is what it is. Because I would, I would suggest that if that were not the case, then you wouldn't really be living in the now. I mean. You know, well, exactly. You got angry an hour ago, and you're still angry. Then w w where are you now? You know what's <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> yeah, well, um, do you feel like uh, there's anything that you would like to add that I haven't thought to ask you, or that you haven't had a chance to say? No, that, that if you don't ask, then nothing comes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the old saying. And I could probably sit here and ask you questions all night. But, um, you know, we're, we're kind of approaching the two-hour mark, and, and it's probably a good time to wrap it up. But, um, you know, this has been very enjoyable. And, uh, 
you know, maybe in a year or so we can have another session and maybe I will have thought of new questions or we can, <laughs> although there's nothing new under the sun, but it's very enjoyable talking to you. And uh, Well, it's very nice to speak with you too. And don't be a stranger, you know, don't think that you need to just sit here and call me for an interview, you know, pick up the phone, say hello anytime. It's sure, quite fine. I'd like to. You know, yeah. And maybe sometimes I'll have, you know, questions or experiences or something that I would appreciate your um, feedback on. And sure, anytime. Happy to do that. Yeah. So, so thank you very much, Swamiji. And um, I, I guess when people are feeling especially respectful, do they call you Swami Gigi? Because <laughs> you have to add that G on there, you know? <laughs> no, just me, you know, you know that it's either, or the big O. You know? <laughs> That's me, just the big zero, nothing to get, nowhere to go. You know, people strive to be something, but you got to come to be nothing, and that's all great, you yeah. know. <laughs> it's like that old joke about the uh, the rabbi and the cantor. Do you ever hear that one there? I am. No. They're in the synagogue, and, and the rabbi is saying, oh, I am nothing, I am nothing. And, and then the, the cantor sort of gets into it, and he starts saying, I am nothing, I am nothing. And the janitor overhears him, and he starts saying, I am nothing, I am nothing. And so the, the cantor says to the rabbi, yeah, look who thinks he's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, I think it's a cantor. I don't know. Maybe I'm using the wrong term, but anyway, you get the point. <laughs> I, I get the point. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. So I'll wrap it up by just concluding and saying that um, you know that you've been listening to another episode, if it, if we call it that, of Buddha at the Gas Pump. The implication of that title, by the way, having been to, uh, and I didn't dream it up, a young friend of mine did, but it's the implication being the sort of juxtaposition of enlightenment and ordinary life. You know, people in living in the ordinary world of of uh, you know that we live in having spiritual awakenings and that's becoming more and more common yeah, it's, a, it's a great title and that's what it is you know the path is not separate from life and that's one thing that i give here we do we don't do practices that are separate from life right. the practices are incorporated into life and life is to practice yes. absolutely so i i love that yeah buddha is not something we don't uh realization we don't float 10 feet off the ground and you know one is still within the normal uh, flow of society. Yeah. You know, the only thing that's changed is the consciousness has made a radical change and the blinders are off, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> and next week, if the, if the schedule sticks to what I think it's going to be, I'm going to be interviewing a young man who is a musician and claims that uh, he had AIDS and got over it uh, as a result of his spiritual awakening. So. That'll be interesting. That, that sounds like a very interesting one, and I wouldn't discount it. I don't discount anything. Yeah, neither do I. Um, and I haven't had a chance to really talk to him yet, but we'll see what his story is. <laughs> so thank you very much. And, well, thank uh, you. Namaste. Namaste. So we'll much. be in touch. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.